Welcome to the Dark Side of the Full Moon podcast. I'm Jennifer Silliman, and this show is continuing the conversations started in the award-winning first-ever documentary film about maternal mental health. My journey as an advocate began through the power of storytelling. With this podcast, I hope to create a community of women and professionals sharing their own powerful narratives to let others know they're not alone and help is out there. Keep in mind that some of the stories you will hear may be triggering, but it's important they be told. This podcast is not a replacement for professional help from a licensed medical provider. If you or someone you know is suffering due to a maternal mental health condition, please contact your medical provider or call or text message the Postpartum Support International Helpline at 1-800-944-4773. Now let's continue the conversation. Hi there, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Dark Side of the Full Moon podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer, and I have a co-host today. I'm so excited to bring Featherstone back. You guys all may remember we had an interview not too long ago, and it was amazing. And so Featherstone is back to help me today to interview Dr. Trill who is a powerhouse. This is her intro. You guys ready? She's a wife, mommy of two girls. She's an operation Iraqi freedom veteran, and she's a molecular biologist. What? I love it. I love it. And she's going to share her story today. It's so very exciting. Um, But I first want to let Featherstone introduce herself to Featherstone. So I am Featherstone and I'm a perinatal mental health Uh, provider at Eucalyptus Health. And I'm super excited to join Jennifer today with Dr. Trill because I met Trill as a part of um, networking as another entrepreneur. And I'd met Jennifer and loved her her documentary um, many, many moons ago. And so I just really felt that Trill's journey um, with infant feeding, really like her story postpartum needed to be told um, because it's infant feeding challenges are such a common common struggle for so many parents um, and so many moms. And so I'm really excited to be here today and bring everybody together for Trill to share her story. So exciting. All right, Trill, we're going to hand it over to you, friend, so you can, you know, share that beginning journey with us. And then we're going to transition into how you've taken that struggle and turn it into something absolutely amazing. Yeah, thank you. So first, I want to say thank you to both of you for having me on today. It is an honor to get to share the journey because um, truly, I feel like that's where the empowerment comes from when we can share the the good and the bad and be open and honest about it. So I want to thank you for having a platform where that can exist. Um, from there, um, so I as you mentioned, um, have a PhD in cellular and molecular biology, you know, as one does. And um, I, in my last year of grad school, decided to start my family with my husband, which was a fun time to decide to have a baby, you know, just writing a dissertation. Let's go ahead and throw a little human into the mix. And so I don't know that I'd recommend other people do that. Um, But our little girl, so June was born and 
we were so in love and I so wanted to be able to breastfeed her. And we started out really rocky, um, pretty poor latch. It was painful. There was bloody nipples. Um, and it's all the things you don't really hear about until you're like living and breathing it. And then everyone's like, oh yeah, that's a thing that exists. Um, good luck with that. And so we were navigating that. And in the midst of that, um, she also was inconsolable. She cried all of the time, like all day, all night. And I took her in and said like, okay, I think I've broke her. Like, I think something's wrong. Um, and I don't know what is wrong, but I'm pretty sure something's wrong. She cries constantly. And I was just told like, yeah, you know, um, she has colic is what I was told. She has colic and, um, just at home. And so we, we dealt with that for a few more weeks. And at three weeks old, we woke up to find her completely covered in eczema from head to toe with several bloody diapers, one right after another. And it was freaking terrifying. So then I took her back in and said, okay, well now I definitely broke her. Um, please help me. Something's really wrong. And again, kind of like pushed off, um, and, and, you know, not really taken seriously, at that point, the pediatrician said, you know, it may be that she is having a response to something in your diet. I would recommend considering removing cow's milk protein since you're breastfeeding, or you can switch to a hypoallergenic formula. And my mind was blown. I am an expert in protein analysis. Like literally that's what I do in a lab every stinking day is analyze proteins. And at no point did even I know as a new mom that I could transfer something like an allergen from my mouth to my boob. And so I kind of like stumbled back home, really shocked by this information, removed cow's milk protein from my diet, which was a big deal because I love cheese. Let's just like take a moment to like an homage to, to cheese. I love cheese. And uh, so I removed cow's milk protein and in its entirety from my diet. And June got so much worse so quickly. She spiraled um, until all that was coming out of her little body was blood and her eczema was weeping. So it was infected and weeping and it was terrifying. And eventually I got a referral to a gastroenterologist. And I think this woman just took pity on my eye bags that I'm fairly certain are now like permanent on my face. Um, I was just a shell of a human. And she was like, yeah, I think probably we should admit her to the hospital at this point. I was like, yeah, just something, please somebody take me seriously. And she got admitted to the hospital and they decided to put her on a 24 hour starvation diet. And to kind of like set the scene, we went upstairs. We were like at the gastroenterologist and there was a hospital there. So we go upstairs and we get a room and um, I called my husband. He was on his way. We get into this room and it's like time to feed my baby, right? Like you're breastfeeding and you boobs are there and it's time to feed the baby. So I sit down on a chair in the room and I whip one out and I start feeding her and a nurse walks in and she just gasps and like grabs her like scrubs in a, like total dismay and disgust. And is like, I can't believe you would poison your baby like that. You can't breastfeed anymore. And I was just devastated that that's, that hadn't even been said to me. Um, and that, like, I truly took that to heart. Like, oh my God, I'm poisoning my baby with my body. Um, and this thing that I've been told that is the best thing for her that I have worked my 
took us off to do. Um, I did not enjoy those bloody nipples. Um, and for that to be said to me, I was, I was really distraught. My husband showed up. We started this 24 hour starvation diet at that point where um, I ended up pumping in the stairwell of the hospital because I needed to keep my supply up. So I'm pumping like a mad woman. And when you are the cheeseburger, like not nice to have the cheeseburger flaunted around in the room where someone is literally not allowed to eat. So, um, and they didn't have like another space for me. So I'm in the stairwell, I'm bawling. I'm hungry because I don't know what to eat at this point. If I'm going to keep resting, I have no clue. No one's told me anything. So we're both, basically we're both on a starvation diet right now because I don't know what to eat either. And um, just, just devastated. And so we went through that for 24 hours, my husband and I. And then at the end of it, they basically came in and said like, yep, looks like she has a food allergy. Um, we can't test her to determine what it is she's allergic to. So here's your hypoallergenic formula. And first, like I was super sad because I truly did want to continue breastfeeding. But then secondly, when I started asking more information about the formula, I was very shocked to find out that it costs $50 a can. And I was a grad student. And quite frankly, if I'm be honest, like I couldn't afford it. And when you're a grad student, you can't just go get another job, literally not allowed. And so I started asking the question of like, okay, well, I can't afford uh, $50 a can every couple of days. Um, so what's our other option? Like, there's got to be a different option. If you can make a hypoallergenic formula, can I make hypoallergenic breast milk, technically? Like, and the answer was a hesitant, you could, but it'll suck. And I was like, okay, well, I've been in the army for a long time. So I know a lot of things about that suck tell me more. And, um, I was basically given like this just laundry list of foods and they're like, move, remove these things from your diet with no explanation of like why or how long or anything like that. Just remove this from your diet and go on this formula for two weeks while your breast milk clears and then try to get back to breastfeeding. Good luck. And shimmied out the door. Literally that's what happened for us. And, um, I, I did that. I, took all these foods out of my diet. I went on a very, very strict elimination diet, had her on formula for two weeks, got her back to breast milk after two weeks of um, pumping like a crazy person. And I did that for a year. I breastfed her successfully for a year on a strict elimination diet. And it was freaking awful because no one understood and no one cared enough to offer any help or assistance. Um, there were no resources. There was no specialists that could help me through this? How do I get these foods back into my life? Nothing. And so fast forward um, about three years, I had my second daughter and she started presenting with the same exact problem. And this time, luckily I was out of grad school and popped my head out of the sand. And I was like, there's no stinking way. There's got to be people and resources and products and research. And where is all of this? There's, I cannot do this again. And what was crazy is that I found so many more parents and I found no resources and I started free to feed. I was literally four weeks postpartum with Rose when I like opened the Instagram account for free to feed and, and was like, we're making a company. I don't know what that's going to look like, but we're going to do that. And I went back to work and in all of the irony in the entire world, um, at the time after I had my second daughter, Rose, 
I was working for a dairy processing facility. And can we all just take a moment to just laugh hysterically at the irony that is this woman who is completely allergen-free, making millions of pounds of the food that she cannot consume while breastfeeding, five weeks postpartum back at work because I had no maternity leave. Um, you don't know life until you put like cottage cheese in your mouth and chewed it up and then like spit it back out. That's then, then you have officially lived life. So definitely give that one uh, a fun try. So in the midst of that, I am, I just started free to feed. I was like, and to back up just a little, when I had this issue with Rose, when Rose started presenting with, with symptoms for food allergy response to my breast milk, I started digging into the research this time around. This time around, I was like, no, there's got to be, there's got to be research behind this. And so as I started digging into the research, what I found didn't match what I was told at the hospital. For example, I did not need to pump like a crazy person and be on elimination diet for two weeks while she took formula. That didn't need to happen. In actuality, proteins, just like all the other molecules that we study, peak in concentration of breast milk very quickly and steadily decrease from there, usually within a day. So none of that shenanigans needed to happen in the beginning of our journey. And certainly the amount of Im immense pressure that I felt on myself to not accidentally eat something I wasn't supposed to because it would poison my baby for two weeks. None of that had to happen for an entire year of my life. So I started free to feed with the goal of like, I'm going to take this scientific research and I'm going to translate it into digestible content for everyday parents uh, because everybody needs to know I'm going to stand on a molehill and I'm going to shout from the rooftops like this. The, here's the real research. Here's the actual information. And when I got back to work at this dairy processing facility, I was teaching lab techs how to use this really simple test strip to prove out that we didn't accidentally cross contact food in the facility. So for example, if we ran um, soy milk on a piece of equipment and then ran cow's milk on that same equipment, we'd have to prove to the FDA that we didn't accidentally get some of that soy in that cow's milk because it could cause an allergic response in the general public. So I was literally teaching lab techs how to do this, how to test cow's milk for other allergens. And I was like, oh my God, what would happen if I snuck into a closet and squirted some breast milk on this thing? Like, I want to know if there's some soy in my breast milk. And so I did that because of course I did. And I snuck into a closet, squirted some breast milk on that thing and it didn't work. And I was ticked. And so I started asking around like, well, why? Why doesn't this work? I need to know how to test my breast milk. Why in the world are we doing this for cows? And we're not doing this for women. This is some bullshit. And so I started digging in and started asking that question. And the answer to the question that I got to eventually was that nobody cared enough to know what does a peanut look like after it has gone through your system and entered your breast milk. No one has cared enough to say, um, okay, we know how to test for a peanut in its whole form. But we don't know what a peanut looks like after it comes into your boob. Luckily for us, we're not shooting peanuts out of our nipples because that would be incredibly painful but we need to know what that looks like. What are we shooting out of our nipples? And so that's where free to feed started diving into the um, actual research, right? So as a molecular biologist and an expert in protein analysis, I started writing grants to say like, mm, what does it look like? What does a peanut look like in my, in my titty? I want to know. And why don't we know? This is stupid. Um, and so the beauty of free to feed is that we found out then, you know, what does a peanut look like when it transfers from your mouth 
through your circul through your digestive system to your circulatory system and therefore your breast. What does it look like? <clears throat> and then of those things that transfer, which of them are allergenic? What actually causes infant issues? And of those things, which ones won't cross-react with naturally occurring human proteins? So because we don't want any false positives on a simple test, just because obviously a human protein is going to be in your human milk. And so we did that. We found that um, weird Venn diagram, if you will, of what to test for, and then use that information to make the very first test strip that will allow moms to test their breast milk for the presence of allergens at home. And what that does then is instead of me standing on my molehill shouting from the rooftops that it does not take two weeks or longer for a you know slice of cheese to leave your breast milk, which can we just take like a half second to say, where is it hiding? Like where, what magical place in the, is that like protein hiding in your boob somewhere for weeks on end? I need to know. So beyond that, instead of me shouting from the rooftops, that exact question, if we could just make the test strip available to all parents, we don't have to ask that question anymore. They can just test the milk themselves. And there isn't any more need for misinformation around um, how long proteins exist in your breast milk because you just know. I can just test it. I can just know that I had a pint of Ben and Jerry's ice cream last night because I deserved it because I had a hard damn day. And I know that the next morning my milk is clear of those proteins because otherwise, let's just all be honest. Like, my breast milk would have been only made out of Ben and Jerry's for like the entirety of my life. So if they stay, if it stayed in there for weeks on end, like that's just, I just put Ben on one side and Jerry's on the other. Jerry on the other. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Um, so that is the, that is the inception. That is the birth, if you will, of my third baby, which um, is free to feed. And we're pushing forward. Um, we've created an entire platform and company around supporting parents through their breastfeeding and just feeding journeys in general uh, for their food allergy babies. Trill, that is so incredible. This is Featherstone. Um, it's really funny because a couple of the things that you said, I feel like I've only in passing had patients ask me about like, where is this half slice of cheese hiding in my body? And it's really funny because Half-life is the term that we talk about a lot, like the amount of time that it takes for half of something to be cleared out of your body. But our bodies aren't just one big glass. It's not that simple. We've got so many layers. And so we actually talk about alpha and beta half-life. Like the first level is that alpha half-life is how much of it is going down in the plasma of your blood. And breast milk is a microfiltrate of blood. So some of what's in your blood goes into breast milk and passes through breast tissue. But the beta half-life is the rate of decline of something in the other tissues of the body. So there's sort of like a deeper well and the top shallow part of the well is that alpha half-life and the beta part is that bottom of the well that it takes longer to get things out of because that's in like your muscles and your fat and your other tissue. But because mm -hmm. of that, you know, we don't always have good scientific research that looks at alpha and beta half-life of not just foods, but medications and, you know, hormones. And so it's a lot of like, unless someone speaks up, the research just doesn't get done. And we know from looking at history and conditions that predominantly affect women, that those issues don't get the attention and the research and the money. 
And I think that's part of why Dark Side of the Full Moon is so important is for people to tell their stories because postpartum experiences, if we don't talk about them, they don't get the attention and people don't get the help because the resources aren't allocated because people don't understand how bad it is. I would just, yeah, I just wanted to double down on that and say that, you know, the entire reason why Free to Feed Needed existed the second time around is that it didn't the first time. And I, I didn't take the moment to truly appreciate my journey and to stand up for myself in that moment. It wasn't until I was faced with it all over again that I was like, oh wait, no, I don't want to do that again. Um, Because no one asked me the first time around. No one asked me about that journey the first time. Absolutely. Do you feel like anyone checked in with you about how you were doing with your diet or how you were coping with having a baby with feeding issues? Not one time was there someone who expressed um, concern or help or resources around making sure that my nutrition was complete, making sure that my mental health was okay, uh, making sure that I was getting the help that I needed and that um, I was supported through that. And there's so many impacts. Um, You know, even today, I still have issues with my teeth because of an entire year of a strict elimination diet. Um, Just so many things that happen in the body when you're lactating, when you have a baby, certainly, but when you're lactating, as far as nutrients are concerned, that no one sat down to care enough to say, you know, this is important. How do we get in these foods within your diet restrictions? And that wasn't something that I knew was going to be a massive impact until I was nine months in and my teeth were falling out, right? Like no one thought, no one took the moment to ask me how I was doing and if my health was complete. So, so my, first of all, I'm, I'm on, I'm actually on your website, free to feed.com right now. And I will be buying the pack of three free to feed boob pens because those are fabulous. Um, second, <laughs> um, I'm just curious to know, um, you know, because they do have a lot of hospitals don't obviously have, um, mental health specialists on site. Like they don't, some are slowly getting there, but they don't have, they have licensed social workers and sometimes that visit that maternity floor. Um, and sometimes they have psychiatrists who can prescribe medication and things like that. But, um, but almost it's become very common that there is a lactation specialist who's going to see you unless you tell them not to come in your room. Right. So, I mean, have you explored the education that they're receiving on this? And, and if so, what does that look like? Yeah, so I have um, <clears throat> worked a lot with many um, lactation specialists through Free to Feed um, because this is not a part of the curriculum. This um, deep diving into like how to navigate food allergic responses with your clients is just straight like everyone's throwing darts in the dark at a a target. They don't even know how big it is. Like, um, no education and, and from the, from every level, right? So this also isn't a topic that gets hit when you become an MD, when you, you know, any, the pediatricians are also not trained in this. The lactation specialists are not trained in this. So doulas and midwives, everybody who is touching this person, um, and helping them are supposed to be helping them as soon as we have a food allergic response on the medical provider side, the answer is hypoallergenic formula because it's a known 
I know what's in this can because it tells me what's in this can. I don't know what's in your boo, but it's a giant mystery blob. Um, and so it's easier to go to like this known can that I know what's in it than it is to help you navigate next steps because no one has taught me how to navigate that either. So I don't know. Good luck with that. So it's not part of the education, which is why Free to Feed created a masterclass to teach medical professionals how to navigate this journey, how to identify first and foremost, is it even a food allergic response? Are we jacking with some poor person's diet who doesn't need you to jack with their diet? Like let that poor person eat cheese. Um, you know, so are we eliminating foods when they don't need to be eliminated? Um, how do we confirm or rule out a food allergic response? What are the other things that we need to be ruling out as well? Um, how do we navigate an elimination diet? How do we navigate a reintroduction strategy, which is so important. We tell people to take things out of their diet and we never tell them how to bring them back. That is not okay. Have the education around how to bring foods back for this person. Um, and then how to facilitate and find support, not only internal within their family and their support group, but also external with other organizations. And so that's where, you know, Free to Feed has come in and said like, hey, we know this isn't a part of your curriculum, but we can help you help your clients. So we can help your clients continue breastfeeding through food allergic response because one, you absolutely can do it. And two, it doesn't need to be the nightmare that it is today. For sure. I see you have a cookbook too. I love that. We just launched the cookbook yesterday. Oh, yeah. Oh, wonderful. Okay. So good. Yeah. I was looking at the masterclass on here too, because that was going to be my question. And I figured once I saw masterclass, I, I was like, ah, they're probably already put a course together to educate, you know, providers that want to, and that's what we need to do. Um, I have a question and this is, this will probably be a dumb question. Um, but is there like, there is like a national organization for, like lactation specialists, kind of like how ACOG is the big for OBGYN Featherstone. What is that? So, so there is the, the biggest class of lactation people is IBCLCs and IBCLC stands for international board of certified lactation consultants. The problem comes in to, because there's multiple other kinds of certifications to help with breastfeeding. Um, a lot of lactation consultants are people like nurses who got exposure to helping people breastfeed and they go on to get the certification or people who are like WIC peer counselors or La Leche League um, volunteers who have a lot of experience and go through the education and get certified. But there's also some other credentials like CLE, like certified lactation educator, um, and there's doulas who help with breastfeeding, you know, postpartum doulas can be huge, but there is, um, to my understanding, not as much standardization with their education. Um, and IBCLCs are great because it's a standard education across, across the world. Anybody who has that certification has that level um, of education and knowledge. Um, but I, I honestly, because I'm not an IBCLC and I haven't taken the course, I can't speak to what they do or do not know about food allergy stuff, but I can't say that I've heard a whole lot about um, restricting diets or elimination um, or reintroduction. Um, even from my background in, you know, originally training in midwifery and then transitioning to women's health and having a lot of hands-on experience with the, almost like the, the hand skills and the understanding of how breastfeeding works fundamentally, but definitely not having a great grasp on that biological level of how the food goes into our body, is absorbed, is digested, is metabolized, and then in our bloodstreams and thus our blood smoke 
as those foundational chemical components and the basic proteins after they're metabolized. Like it, you made me laugh trail when you said like, it's a giant blob of unknown, but it, it really, really is. It really, really is. Which like, is, which is so interesting to me, Feather Sound, you, you hit it um, right on the head. Like what's so interesting to me is that it is the very first nutrition for every human a majority, right? Every mammal, right? Yeah, exactly. Every mammal, a vast majority of every mammal, that's where they're starting is breast milk. And the level of unknown to this very fundamental first thing that we put in our body for almost every person, right? We're in the high, we're in the 90 percentile for, um, you know, people who, who initiate breastfeeding, right? So that means that a, a vast majority right, are, are starting there. And for us to just not know, like, we just don't know the, the amount of discrepancy and bias in the research field, um, that that never became a priority for us to understand that biological function and the components within it to like the every single detail level. Like that's a thing that we should know and understand really, really well. And we're just now scratching the surface to be like, oh, hey, you guys, there's some really cool stuff in here that like maybe we should use as adults as like treatments. And oh, holy moly, there's like, this stuff's pretty cool. Yeah, of course it is. Duh. And, (laughs) but yeah, it's a giant, it's a wonderful mystery blob um, where we're like, ah, boobs. And then that's, that's it, right? Like there's, there's no further analysis and why, how we got to, you know, the year 2021 and for not only there to be on the food allergy side of things, um, research from like the seventies to today that one, you know, talks about timeline and transferability, um, and yet we still don't fully understand. We still fully never spent the time and money necessary to support parents through this. And, you know, if I can be frank, that's because it's a a woman-based issue, um, that it, it doesn't get the, the support and, and grant funding and research, um, appropriation that it deserves. Well, Dr. Trill, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Um, the insight on this has just been incredible and I cannot wait to, um, shout it out onto social media so that other people can hear this and, and possibly change the way that, um, you know, they're going forward with, with feeding their littles. And Trill, I want to thank you. This is Featherstone. Um, just because it's been fantastic to hear like your experience as someone who's another professional and going through it and the unique insight that you have both as a, a veteran parent and as a molecular biologist. It's just incredible. Thank you so much.